Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We are on a series that we have been entitled, Let No One Deceive You. So if this is your first week, uh, you've got some catching up to do. Because we've been on this series for a few times. I think this is part 14. And so it went back all the way into 2020. We talked about it. So, but today we're going to discuss being on the winning team. Being on the winning team. And again, if you know me very well, I'm, I'm very, my life's been a lot about sports and I'm a very competitive person. I like to win at, at everything. And uh, I'm not saying that, you know, it's anything evil, but I'm just, if you want to be on my team and you don't care about winning, I love you. You're a good person. Just I don't want you on my team. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you have a bad attitude wanting to win. I'm just talking about being competitive. And, and uh, so I want to talk about being on the winning team spiritually and seeing what that means. And we believe the Bible is where we're going to find out what that truth is about. So we get excited here at the Rhodes Church about the Bible. So if you've got them, they're Mount Carmel. Come on, E-Rhodes family here in North City. Let's get pumped as we open our Bibles today to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, I do have the board again today. So I'm going to go through a few things and uh, break down some things going on current events-wise. I learned in the first service to not expect to get through your sermon notes. So you might want to just scratch about the last half of those because we ain't going to get there. But <laughs> we'll get there next time, you know. I'll, uh, we'll talk about That's why they make other Sundays. I encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, hopefully you have one. Sermon notes are available there in your worship guide or on the YouVersion Bible app. But bring your Bible. Don't take what I say for granted. Don't just believe what I say because I say it. You need to be a student of the Word of God. And so check what I say and study it out for yourself. I believe when we're teaching on the end times that uh, we should be done with humility because I'm just teaching it based on the light that I have now and I may find out something later on like, wow, I didn't see that one coming. And so I'm open, I'm open. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. We can still be friends. So I'm just gonna present this the way I feel like I understand it. And if you understand it differently, that's all right. You can uh, share with me your scriptures and we can all try and grow in the truth. It's not just about us, but it's, uh, it's about what God's wanting to do. A couple of things that I want to remind you of. The Bible is a Jewish book. It is uh, Israel-centric, Jerusalem-centric, Middle Eastern-centric. It is not United States-centric. So don't read the Bible like it's all about the United States of America because it is not. It is about Jerusalem and Israel and the Middle East. That's what the focal point of Scripture was. That's the context of Scripture on what happened, Old Testament and New Testament. It was written in that area. And so as we're reading prophecy, we have to make sure and run it through that filter. But I do want to talk about end times and current social and political events because I think in order to talk about the end times, talking about political events and social events will become more synonymous. In other words, as we draw closer to the end, talking about the end times and talking about political and social issues will be the same thing. So, like, when we go to talk about the Antichrist, it's going to be a political conversation because he's going to be a political leader. 
So as long as the church feels like we have no right to speak about societal or political issues, we are deceived ourselves and we are keeping the world from hearing the truth. We should be leading the way into talking about societal issues, not being intimidated and falling back. Like We shouldn't be talking about those things. We should just talk about heaven. Well, we need to be talking about what people are facing every day. Because we don't want to be deceived. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that I know it all. I'm still learning. And so I'm going to try and figure out as much as I can along the way and pass that along to you. But I want to encourage you this. Uh, we must never separate loving people and standing for the truth. When we love people, we're also willing to speak the truth to people. If your goal is to, agree, uh, to achieve mass acceptance from people, then you will never confront deception or evil. You've got to be able to do it, but we've got to do it in truth and love. So if someone has a completely different worldview for, from you and you can't love them and pray for them, then the love of God is not perfected in your heart yet. If someone has a totally different political view from you and you can't have a conversation where you love them and want to pray for them, then then you check your heart. Because God has called us to be Christians first. We're not tied to a political party first. All right, just making sure we're grasping that. We're, we're called to be Christians. So let's see, see in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says this, 70 weeks are determined for your people, and this is a visitation to Daniel by Gabriel the angel, and he gives this vision to him, and he says, 70 weeks are determined for your people. Your people are the children of Israel, and your holy city is the city Jerusalem. Again, focus on context. And here's what happens. 70 weeks are determined. Remember, weeks are not uh, days, but it's years. So it's like 77-year periods, not 77-day periods. So when he says 70 weeks are determined, he's giving the time clock. Say this, is, this vision is coming in 538 B.C., and if you can't see this clearly, that's all right. You can come up afterwards and take a picture if you want. I spent a long time drawing this out a lot neater than I did last week. But so 70 weeks... From beginning to end, and we'll talk about that, what that means here. So for your people, and here's what's going to happen within that 70 weeks, uh, to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All that's going to happen in 70 weeks. Some of it has already happened, and some of it's yet to happen. So now let's go to verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, so there's a key point in history, from the going forth of the command to restore, remember they're in Babylon in captivity, and he's saying to them, hey, whenever there's this command given to go back and restore and rebuild the temple, that's important. And you know, Daniel's got to be saying, wow, we're in captivity. How many's ever been in a bad spot and you thought it was going to last forever? But God gave Daniel a word and say, what you're experiencing now is not what you will always experience. How many needs a word from God right now that what you're experiencing right now is not what you're always going to experience? There is hope for you. And so that's what God said. He said, hey, it's going to come to an end. And when this command happens to go back and restore and rebuild, rebuild Jerusalem, which seemed like a miracle, seemed like impossible, it's not going to happen, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Again, seven weeks is not seven 
day periods, but seven year periods. So there shall be seven weeks, or seven times seven is 49 years, and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall even in troublesome time. So here's what he's saying. 538 B.C. is telling Daniel, he said, okay, from the command to restore Jerusalem until the Messiah comes, he's saying it's going to be broken up. The 70 weeks that I'm talking about, it's going to be broken up into three groups. It's going to be broken up into the first seven weeks or the first seven, seven sevens. It's broken up in the second was be 62, and then we've got a last seven. Seven plus 62 is, six, is 69, plus seven is, sorry, Weeks. So you got the one week, and then we got the 62. We put all these together, makes 70. All right? So you got that 7, 62 plus 1 is 70. There, I got it spit it out the right way. So now, know therefore, going forth the command. So 458, the command comes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So that was given to them. And so that starts the clock ticking. God was saying after the seven years, something significant is going to happen. Seven weeks, rather. The seven times 70. So after the command, seven weeks or 49 years later, what happened? In 409 B.C., this is historical fact. This is not some uh, conspiracy theory. 409 B.C., the temple was finished 49 years later, just like the Bible said. After seven weeks, there's something significant going to happen. And boom, that's going to be the temple's rebuilt. That's important. Then number two, 62 weeks. 62 weeks is 434 years. So it says from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild until the Messiah. And now we got seven and then 62 more, 434 years. And what's going to happen? The Messiah is going to show up. So he's telling him this in 538 B.C. Hey, the Messiah is going to show up in 483 years after the command is given. If I'm Daniel, I'm writing that down. Okay, 483, I'm not going to be around. But I'm writing it down because it's going to be important for other people after me. Aren't you glad Daniel wrote it down? So now, we understand what happened in 483 years later, 483 years after 458 B.C. is 26 A.D. What happened in 26 A.D.? Jesus, the Messiah, shows up. And they say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world at 30 years old because he was born in 4 B.C., not in 0. So now how accurate was the Bible in 538 B.C.? It was predicted that 483 years after the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the Messiah would show up, and he did. Then look what it says after that. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, after this 434-year period, Messiah shall be caught up, cut off, or shall die. Three and a half years of ministry after he showed up, he was cut off. Jesus was crucified in 30 A.D. All right? So now, remember this three and a half years. That's significant. I always wondered, why is it three and a half years? Jesus, why couldn't you stay around a little longer? But three and a half years. He was cut off in 30 A.D., just like it says he will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. What is the city and the sanctuary? That is Jerusalem and the temple. That happened in 70 A.D. Romans came and destroyed that. But it wasn't just the Romans like uh, European Romans. It was Legion 10. We talked about that. There was a Legion 10 army under the general that made up, was made up of Turks, Arabs, and the Syrians. So that's important. The people of the prince, the people of the prince, we talked about that was the Antichrist. So once Jerusalem is destroyed 
and the temple is, is torn down. Now the clock is paused. So we've got seven weeks and 62 weeks. And somebody asked me, Chad, where'd you get those three things about the clock is paused when Israel's not a nation, when they're not in Jerusalem, and when uh, the temple's not built? Well, it's commentary. It's not chapter and verse in the Bible. This is commentary. So you can agree with this or not. What happened is we saw we had seven weeks and 62 weeks and then we've got another week that wasn't, that's not taking place. What happened? So we're missing the seven. So we go backwards looking at it from a historical viewpoint. And that's where we start put together. These three things must be in place evidently for that to happen. And I'll explain that. So I said the clock was paused. So what happened to get this? We got to get this last week. We're missing one. How do we get it? 1948, something huge. Israel becomes a nation. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. 1967, they didn't control Jerusalem in 1948, but in 1967, they won the war and they occupied and controlled Jerusalem. So now they're a nation again and they occupied Jerusalem. Okay, those are two out of the three things. Now what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the temple, temple to be rebuilt. When the temple's rebuilt, when is the temple going to be rebuilt? Here's the one I have a question mark. Look at verse 27. Then he, who's the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant or a treaty with many for how many weeks? For one week. One week is how long? Seven years. seven years. How many weeks are we missing? We're missing one week. Okay, seven years. So he said here's the Antichrist is going to confirm a treaty or a covenant with many for one week or seven years, but in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What's that mean? So here's what's going to happen. At some point, and I don't know when this is, this could happen next year, it could happen five years from now, ten years from now, fifty years from now. I don't know this one. Because the Bible doesn't tell us. All of that tells us is at some point, the Antichrist is going to confirm a treaty with Israel and others in the Middle East. And when that happens, boom, start your watches. Because the last week, the 70th week has begun. The last seven years. Okay? Again, this is how I interpret it. Now, some people say we will be raptured out of there before that happens. Go back and listen to the first part of the series. I deal with the rapture and why I don't believe that's going to happen from a scriptural standpoint. Again, many disagree. I hope you're right. I would be more than happy to rapture out before any of this happens. I just don't see it in scripture that way. But anyway, so in the middle of that, what's the middle of seven is three and a half. In, in three and a half years, He's going to stop the abominate or stop the sacrifices. We'll talk about that, and that begins the great tribulation that you find in Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse fifteen. So again, that's a little bit of the timeline. So now let's see who's involved with this. Let's go to Revelation chapter thirteen. Here's the point that I want to make today. I want to make a lot of points, but I realize I'm not going to make all the points I want to make. So here's what I'm going to give you today. It's important that you watch politically. What nations do we want to align ourselves with and what ones we do not? This is why it's relevant to the church, why it's relevant to the, to the political scene. This is why it's uh, relevant to our elected officials. Which governments and countries they align themselves, the Bible's going to tell us who not to align with. It's pretty simple. You need to take your Republican and Democrat hat off and throw it in the trash can and put yourself in line with Scripture. No matter what party you support, we want to be in line with who the Bible supports. 
I'm not worried about, well, my party says we should support this country. It doesn't matter. We want to be on the winning team. And the winning team is Jesus' team. So now let's look in verse 1 of chapter 13. This is John writing. He says, then I stood on the sand of the sea. What sea is that? The Mediterranean Sea. Again, Middle East. And I saw a beast. Again, this is an image, not an actual beast, but he's talking about kingdoms. We've broke this down. Please go back and watch your previous messages on this. A beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. What are those seven heads? Seven heads are not heads like human heads. They're kingdoms. And these are the seven kingdoms that opposed Israel from, uh, from history. The Egyptians, Assyrian, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greek, Roman, and the Ottoman Empire. All of these overtook each other. That's the seven heads, ten horns. I've got ten horns. Each one of these kingdoms has one horn, except the Grecian Empire. Remember Alexander the Great? One horn broke off, four grew back in its place. That was the four generals that took over. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The seven heads, seven kingdoms with ten horns, ten leaders of those seven kingdoms. You see that? That's what it's talking about. All that's historical. You could look at a history book and see that those things happened. You don't have to look at the Bible. So, and on his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. We'll go into that later time. I, there's a great explanation for that, but not, we're not going to focus on that today. Now, the beast which I saw, so this Antichrist kingdom. Who are these nations? Who do we want to be with and who do we want to be against? Notice what he says. This beast, or the Antichrist kingdom, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth were like a lion. So notice the comparison, like. He was not these things, but he was like them. So what does it mean when it says like a leopard, like the feet of a bear, like the mouth of the lion? If you go back, remember we talked about each one of these kingdoms represented, were represented by an animal. Babylon was represented by the lion, Medo-Persia was represented by the bear, and the Greeks were represented by the leopard. If we'll pull them up on the map, I'll show you where we're talking about. So when he says the Antichrist kingdom is like these, he's not saying he will look like a leopard. He's telling you it's like the leopard kingdom. In other words, where the leopard kingdom is from, this Antichrist kingdom is going to be like that. So now here's Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom, which was the uh, lion. Notice where they're at geographically. Okay, now let's go to the next one. This is Medo-Persian. This is the bear. So it's like a bear. Notice where they are. Then is also like a leopard. Go to the next one. This is the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great. So notice they're all located in the same area. So the Antichrist kingdom is going to be a mixture of all three of these. So the Antichrist kingdom is not one person or one nation. It is a conglomerate of different ones. It's a mixture of those. Notice it's like those. This is like, it's like a European uh, kingdom. It's not, I'm sorry, a Middle Eastern, not a European. That's why the Antichrist kingdom is not a Roman kingdom, a European kingdom. He's a Middle Eastern kingdom. That's important when we watch the news. It's not like Germany, it's not like Spain, it's not like Italy, it's like these. The word Arab in the Hebrew means mixed. It's known as a mixed group of people, and that's what's going to happen with the Antichrist uh, kingdom. Notice, and this also fits with the Daniel statue. Remember, the feet were a mixture of iron and clay, a mixture. 
So the Antichrist kingdom is not just one nation, it's a conglomeration of nations mixed together, and they're all located in that Middle Eastern area, okay? So that's what we're looking for. So the Antichrist kingdom, this matches Revelation chapter 17. It says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. What is the wilderness? Not Southern Illinois wilderness where we think about woods. It's wilderness biblical, which is desert. Carried them away into the desert. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So again, telling us that it matches with Daniel, matches there. Now let's go back to verse 2 in Revelation 13. And it says, the dragon, the dragon in Scripture is always talking about Satan himself. The dragon gave him, or the Antichrist and his kingdom, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So, the, so Satan himself is going to give the Antichrist kingdom three things, and I think they're significant. I'm just going to deal with two first. Number one, he's going to give him his power. It's the Greek word dunamis. So the Antichrist is going to receive Satan's power, his miraculous power. So the Antichrist kingdom will be able to perform supernatural things. He will be able to do miracles. He will be able to do things that people can't explain. Just giving you a heads up. He's going to have power of Satan. He's also going to have his authority. He's also going to have his delegated influence, his ability to influence people, his ability to rally people to get support. He's going to have his authority. So now we realize that the Antichrist kingdom is going to have the power, the dunamis of Satan and the authority, the exousia of Satan. We're like, wow, if he's going to do that, if he's going to have great power and authority, what are we going to do? Well, guess what? You also have great power and authority. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus said these words, Behold, I, Jesus, give you the authority, exousia, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, 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 all the power, the dunamis of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Yes, is the Antichrist going to have exousia? Is he going to have dunamis? Yes, but we also have exousia and authority and power and dunamis. So the Antichrist gets his power and authority from Satan. We get our power and authority from Jesus. How many knows that Jesus' power trumps that of the enemy? So don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared like, oh, no, the Antichrist has miracle power. I know, so do we. This is why the church has to press in to the dunamis power and see the power of God operate in people's lives. Because what's going to change people's lives? It's not just a better sermon. It's a demonstration of the supernatural power of God. It's not going to be our ideological differences and how we have a better argument. It's not we have a better moral stance. No, no, no. It's when the supernatural power of Satan creates, uh, uh, is matched and overcome by the supernatural power of Jesus. What happened with Moses? Remember that the serpent, he threw his rod down and became a serpent. And the Egyptian magician says, we can do that. They made their rod turn into serpents. What happened though? Moses' rod ate. His snakes ate their snakes. So you can come close. And that's what I'm telling you. Christians, we got to lean into the supernatural power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that does miracles, signs, and wonders, that we in the church are leaning into things that are going to demonstrate the power of God. It's not just persuasive words of man's wisdom, but it's the demonstration of power in the Holy Spirit that's going to draw people into the kingdom of God. 
People's like, well, why should I serve you? I mean, the Antichrist is doing all these things. Well, look what God is doing. He's doing greater. So that's what we're talking about. Antichrist is going to have some power, but that's no biggie. Look what else, what else he's going to give him. He's going to give him his power, his authority, and his throne. This is important. Give him his throne. What does it mean when Satan's going to give the Antichrist his throne? Let me talk to you about the location of the Garden of Eden. I brought a map here. The location of the Garden of Eden historically is argued about two different places. One is in the northern area where these three rivers collide, and that's in Turkey. I believe that's where it was. Or some people believe it's in the southern area where these rivers come together in Iraq, down by Babylon. I personally believe it's in the northern part is where it was. But again, study that out for yourself and see. But why, when it says that he's given the Antichrist his throne or his seat, so now look at Revelations chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. He's talking to a church in Pergamos and says where you dwell, that's where Satan's throne is. Remember, Satan's going to give the Antichrist his throne. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So Satan's throne is in Pergamos. Satan dwells in Pergamos. How many thinks it's important to know where Pergamos is? Well, if you read Revelation chapter 2, the seven churches in Asia, let's bring up that map. Where is Pergamum? It is in modern-day Turkey. All the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2, notice where they were located. All of them were located in modern-day Turkey. And so when it says Satan is going to give the Antichrist his throne, and Revelation 2 says that Satan's throne is in Pergamum or in Turkey, it's starting to draw attention to me where the Antichrist's throne is. He's going to rule from Turkey. My opinion. You say it out for yourself, see what you think. Now let's look at verse 3. So now look at verse 3 in Revelation chapter 13. And I saw one of his heads as if it was mortally wounded. What's a head? Not Some people taught this like someone's head gets chopped off, the Antichrist's head gets chopped off, and then somehow it gets put back on and he comes back to life. No, no, no. Heads are kingdoms. So it's one of the seven heads of this beast. Because if you go back, you know, you saw this beast rising seven heads and ten horns. A human being doesn't have seven heads. I haven't seen any. If you see one, send me a picture. No, don't send me a picture. It could be corrupt. Anyway, so verse, so we know that one of these seven heads is going to die, be mortally wounded. But then it says, and his deadly wound was healed. Well, which one of these seven was wounded that's going to come back? The Ottoman Empire, after World War I, they were dissolved. They were dissolved completely. And this Ottoman Empire, I believe, is going to be returned, be the eighth kingdom and where the Antichrist kingdom is going to come from. If you will watch what's happening in Turkey right now by their president, he mentions a lot about the resurrection of the Ottoman Empire. He uses the word Ottoman. And what the Ottoman Empire is not just the resurgence of Turkey. It's the resurgence of the Muslim Empire. All the nations that made up, if you will do a search and see what the Ottoman Empire was made up of, it was not one country. It was many nations, many Islamic nations in the Middle East. And this is what he's believing for and striving for is the return of the Ottoman Empire. So that's what they're positioning themselves. So is Turkey going to be leading that? Let me read to you Daniel chapter 7. Again, just giving you some foundations for this. 
After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. So it's different from all these other kingdoms, all seven of them. It had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one. So remember, we've got the ten horns, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that make up this ten-king coalition. It's going to happen. Ten kings are going to come together and form this coalition. But it says, then another one, a little horn, the eleventh one, is going to come up. Coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. He's going to take out three other leaders, and he's going to, in their place, and it says he's going to have eyes like the eyes of a man, and mouth speaking pompous words. So he's going to displace three kings out of that leadership coalition and take over. Daniel chapter 8, therefore the male goat uh, grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn, Alexander the Great, was broken, and in the place four notable ones came up, those his four generals, toward the four winds of heaven, and out of one of them, out of one of those four generals, out of one of those four kingdoms of ancient Greece comes the little horn. So it's important because it's telling us where the Antichrist is going to come from. He's coming from one of those four, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, towards the east, toward the glorious land. So the kingdom that the Antichrist is going to come out of is of the four generals, the one that grows out of the north towards the east. So now towards the Israel, glorious land. Here's the one. If you see the arrow there is pointing from the land of Israel, the glorious land, up North and to the west, the green is the Seleucid Empire of Alexander the Great, and it's pointing right towards Turkey. Again, just trying to lay some foundation on why I believe we're looking at the Antichrist kingdom coming down from, or coming down from there. It goes on to say in, uh, that this little horn, Istanbul, Turkey, I found this off of Google Maps. Look at this picture of Istanbul, Turkey. It looks like a little horn. So now I, when he talks about a little horn is coming out of this, he's going to rule out of Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople when they conquered it. Uh, just some imagery, just something to think about, something to think about. You're like, Chad, are you getting yourself in trouble? I don't know. I don't know. Daniel chapter 8, I'm just preaching the Bible. Whatever happens with that, happens with that. Verse 10, and it grew up to the host of heaven and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Here it is about the Antichrist. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away. Remember, they're going to start these daily sacrifices three and a half years in. He's going to stop the daily sacrifices and point worship back to himself. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. Important. What's going to happen with the Antichrist kingdom? He's going to cast truth down to the ground. What does that mean? He's going to suppress the truth. He's going to prevent the truth from being broadcast. He's going to censor the truth from being communicated. I know it's not happening right now, but someday in a far, far distant land, the truth is going to be suppressed. The Antichrist is going to control the media outlets, what gets told and what's not told. I know it's hard to fathom right now, but someday. It's, I know it's crazy. It's out there. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking. This is really important. 
I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will this vision be concerning the daily sacrifices? He's talking about this last week. Concerning the daily sacrifices, when we start that up again, and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. So in other words, he's asking, hey, once we start the sacrifices and they do this abomination of desolation, what's the time frame for all that? How many would like to know that? (laughs) Well, verse 14, he says, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. I love it when they give specific days. He said, all right, you want to know? 2,300 days. Let's break that down. What does that mean to you and me? Seven years. Seven times 365 is. I did the math for you. 2,555 days. So what he's telling us, is once this starts, he says now 2,300 days. 2,555 minus 2,300 is 255 days. Right? So what that's telling me is that from the time they confirm the treaty until the time they start the sacrifices, because remember, from the time they start the sacrifices until Jesus cleanses the temple, comes back and purifies everything, 2,300 days. So that tells me that 255 days after they sign the treaty, that's when sacrifices will begin. So that tells me, <laughs> this may not be big to you, but I really enjoy this stuff. So it tells me from the day I read, on the news, if I'm still here, if I see this on the news, hey, we confirmed a treaty, something miraculous has happened, there is peace in Israel with all these nations, and it was signed today. I'm like, Coop, start the clock, 2,555 days, but I'll be even more specific than this. In 255 days, the temple will re- be rebuilt, and they will start sacrifices again. You're like, why does the Bible give us this specifics? To encourage us that we can provide wisdom to guide people and why we serve Jesus. So when they make a big hoopla about this treaty and say, finally, it's arrived, miracle, the treaty has been signed, God is good. No, God is good, yes. But start your clock, the missing week has started. You'd be like, we've been looking for this week all the way since 26 AD. We've been wondering when this last week was going to start. When it's going to start, I don't know. But once we know, now we know how long it's going to last. From the time they sign that, 255 days, you can mark your calendar and say, okay, let's see if they start sacrifices by then. I just think that part's pretty cool. So now we're going to guide people through this. Man, I got a lot of things that I want to say, and I don't have time to do that. Next week. So the rest of your sermon notes, you can mark them right there, and I will get to them next week because I don't have time to get to them now. I'm going to give you some current news, okay? Let me give you some current news. Some of it's current, some of it's uh, historical just to give you some perspective on Turkey and why I talk about it. Now, when I say this, because, again, we've got people watching from Sweden. We've got people from watching all over the world. It's not to be against all Turks. To say the Antichrist is going to come from Turkey is not to condemn all Turks, to say where he's going to come from. It's just like to say there's going to be an Islamic coalition that comes against Israel is not to be against all Muslims. You have to have the heart of the Father for people, but speak the truth about where things are going to come from. Turkey held a referendum in 2017 on constitutional amendments, allowing its leader, his name is President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, May have mispronounced that, but best I could do. 
to switch from a parliamentary democracy to a presidential system. Presidential system is where now whatever he says goes. All right? In the Israel 365 News, an article January 21st of 2020, a new military incursion of 2,000 troops from Turkey were moved into Libya as a part of a long-awaited dream by Turkish President Erdogan to return the Ottoman Caliphate with Jerusalem as its capital. What is the goal of President Erdogan? To renew, revive the Ottoman Caliphate. We'll talk about Caliphate probably next week. What is the Caliphate? And Jerusalem as the capital. In other words, wants to take back over Jerusalem. Okay? 2015, this is what he said from his own mouth in a speech. Conquest of Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Conquest of Saladin. It's to, the, it's to hoist the Islamic flag over Jerusalem again. What's his goal? Conquer Mecca, overcome. That's why you're going to see, oh, Jesus. You're going to see, I can't keep going. we got to stop at some point. You're going to see, oh, watch, watch Saudi Arabia and Israel go from enemies to bring some loyalty that's going to separate Saudi Arabia from the other Islamic nations. That's all I'm going to give you for right now. If I'm wrong, then whatever. It'll play out. You don't have to wonder. So now, in a Muslim gathering in the Temple Mount earlier this month, commemorating the conquest of Constantinople, Nidhal Siam, a Palestinian preacher, told the crowd. Here's what this Palestinian preacher told the crowd. Three prophecies would soon be fulfilled. A rightly guided caliphate will be established. Jerusalem will be liberated and its capital as its capital, sorry, Jerusalem will be liberated and established as its capital and Islam will throw its neighbors to the ground thereby achieving world domination. Dr. Musab Abu Arkub, apologize, I'm not trying to butcher the name, but the minister in Palestine called on the Arab armies to free themselves from the American tyrant and to move their forces to topple the Arab regimes as a first step towards action for the Islamic nation. In his speech, he turned directly to the armies of Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey and asked them to fight the allies of Satan, a reference to the United States. States. Such action, he said, should be reflected, listen to this part, in the provision of aid to Gaza the liberation of Palestine and Jerusalem and the practical implementation of Islamic religious law or Sharia law in Palestine. The radical Islamist organization, which operates in Israel and in the Palestinian authority assigned areas of Judea and Samaria, continues to preach for the establishment of an Islamic caliphate with Jerusalem as its capital. What am I saying? Whatever political leader starts to choose to recognize Palestine and Gaza and comes against Israel is the agenda of the Antichrist and not the agenda of God. Now, if you get all upset about that because someone in your party is wanting to promote the two states of Palestine and, and not support Israel, you've got to deal with that on your own. I'm just giving you the Bible. 
Israel belongs to the Jewish people. That's God's people. The Palestinian, Islamic, Ottoman, Caliphate, that is not God. That is Antichrist. So say, well, we all need to get along. Palestine, the agenda of the Palestinian goal, and that is coming from a caliphate, from an anti-Israel agenda. So we've got to be clear whose team we want to support. We want to support Israel. Why? Because whether I support Israel or not, Israel's going to win. God's already decided. He's already decided that he will, and I, I wanted to read it to you, but we don't have time. But we'll talk about what God's going to do to all these armies that come up against Israel. They can talk smack. They can talk big. We're going to remove you from the map. God says, uh, not on my watch. How many knows he's always watching? So in the political arena, why are we talking about these things? Chad, can you get off this politics? I can't get off the things that are going to deceive people because they don't know that the Bible tells them, do not side with the Palestinian agenda. That's the Antichrist agenda. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.